People called me Saul once, a Hebrew of Hebrews, faultless in the eyes of the law. But I watched the rebellion growing, and like a fire, it spread. Claims of a Messiah and the resurrection, the Son of God they declared, and for that, I hunted them. My will was bent on destruction, but on the road to ruin, my world was torn apart. A voice called my name and the scales fell from my eyes. The fire that I sought to extinguish was now consuming and refining me. People called me Saul once, but that was another life, for I am a new creation. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And neither death nor life, not even the powers of hell, will separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. So good morning to everyone in the house here. Good morning for those of you tuning in online. We're so glad that you are joining us for this worship experience. Excuse my being out of breath. Literally just next door. Like it's not even that far. <laughs> but it just goes to show that where my husband's running his two to three miles, I haven't been doing the running part of it. So I'm a little bit winded. <laughs> but um I just want to thank you guys for, again, being here in the house. And if you haven't had a chance to share or log in to YouTube or Facebook, you know, share with your family, share with your friends. Um, you know, this is the time that we give you permission to be on your phones, you know, like taking it back to school where they're like, hey, don't be on your phones. <laughs> you could be on your phones in here. So that way you could share, um, you know, our our church's site so that others can be fed by the word. Amen. Because I know that pastor's been, his, his spirit's been stirring with the word that's coming forth. Um, and what a powerful time of worship, right? What a refreshing time of worship and just pulling down heaven, asking God for his presence and, and just his refining fire. You know, as we were seeing that piece of his fire coming down, I think of how Fire, when we well, here, we live in Southern California and we think of fires, we think fire bad, right? But fire is a good thing. Fire refines. Fire burns away the grit and the grind, the things that is not, is not needed, the bad stuff. And then what comes out of it is purity. Amen. And I just think of God's refining fire in our lives and just everything that the enemy tries to throw our way, the discouragement, the fear. You know, what has the enemy been whispering to you this week? I had a rough week. I had a really rough week and I had to re remind myself that I needed to be refreshed in his fire. I needed to be refreshed in his presence. And the only way to do that is to really get before God, really just get before God and just cry out to him and ask him to be with me, to speak his truth in and through my life. And I shook it off. And then yesterday I was reading something by Christine Kane. And it's just been a reminding word that God has been giving to me. And I want you to turn with me to Zephaniah 3. And this is the second part of the 17th uh, verse. And it says, he will delight in you with gladness. With his love, he will calm your fears. He will rejoice over you with joyful songs. Amen. If he brought you to this point, he is faithful to see you through it. Amen. And I want to remind us all of that today. And then Philippians 1, 6 says, and I am certain that God, who began a good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. Friends, if we are here, 
It's because God's not done. God's still working. Even in the midst of everything, he's working. He's working for our good. Amen. And we just read that with gladness, right? With joyful songs, he rejoices over us. So no matter what the situations look like, if he brought us to this point, because at this point, we haven't gotten to where we are today, February 21st, 2021. We haven't gotten to today without him. Amen. We've gotten to this point with him and he is faithful to get us through it. So if we find ourselves in a valley today, he's going to get us through it. If we find ourselves getting through the valley to the next point, he's going to get us to the next point. He's going to get us to our next victory. Amen. And he is faithful. And then again, I was reminded it's a progression. We're moving forward. Amen. And I'm just sharing with you what I needed to be reminded of this week. I needed to be reminded of that this week. And he is faithful because I've seen him moving me through it. I've seen him getting me through it. Amen. So I just want to encourage you all with that today. And I'm just so glad because we have stuff that God is really starting to just, God is just saying, get out of the stagnant, get out of the muck, get out of where you've been stuck. And it's time to move. Amen. So our ministry is going to start picking up, you know, different activities and, and our women's Bible study and our outreaches. So stay tuned for all of that because we want you to be a part of it. And if you don't feel comfortable still being here physically and going with us, we're going to give you the dates for those of you that are tuning in online so that you can pray for us, pray for our ministries so that we can fulfill what we've been all called to do. And that's to reach souls, to save those who are lost and to bring them to the kingdom of heaven. Amen. Cause that's the goal. Amen. I'm just so excited over that. And um, so I can't forget, again, our uh, tithe box is back there. And if you're in here or you're in online, you can text the word GIVE to 1-833-414-0165. I try not to say that too fast, but I'm sure they put it up for you guys. And then for us of us in here, you know, um, and, and we for those of you tuning in, we want you to feel comfortable. As you can kind of see, I'm, I'm doing the side ear hang with my mask. Um, you know, we, we are staying safe in here because, you know, we want everybody to feel comfortable. I know that there are other states that are kind of reopening 100%. California is trying to move in that direction. But um, we want you to feel comfortable to visit us, you know, and we are following procedures for us in here. You know, I just want a quick reminder, you know, everyone just, you know, continue to wear your mask for for the respect of others, for for, um, you know, those that, that are going to be coming, that are going to be visiting because we want to set that example. Amen. And um, I think that's it. Right. Yeah. I had a lot to say today. <laughs> last week I gave you the short bit. This week I kind of made up for last week. <laughs> so we'll bring up Pastor. <laughs> This morning, uh, we're going to dive into the Word of God, but before we do so, let's uh, go before our Father uh, in, in a time of prayer. Heavenly Father, we come before you today, Lord, and I thank you, Lord, for just who you are, Lord, what you've uh, done in our lives, where you've taken us from, and where you're going to take us to. Lord, and we come before you today, Lord, and I pray, Lord, for each individual that's here, Lord, each individual that's joining us, Lord, from a distance, Lord, I pray, Lord, that right now that you just work on our hearts Lord, you, you allow the word to speak, Lord, to us personally, Lord. Make the word personal to us today because you are a personal God. I thank you for that, Lord. Lord, do a work in our lives, I pray, Lord. Use me as a vessel to bring forth your glory, Lord, how you want it to be said. Nothing more, nothing less. I thank you, Lord, for meeting us here today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This morning, we are going to, or, my, or my, my, my sermon is titled, The Damascus Road Experience. And last week, or actually the last three weeks, we were in Acts chapter 8, and pop quiz time last week, if you remember, we learned about Philip, and we learned that what? The spirit-led obedience leads to what? Spirit-led opportunities that lead to what? Spirit-led outcomes, right? We all want the outcome, but it starts with obedience. And this morning, we're going to continue on in our study of Acts, 
And we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 9. I'll be honest with you, I struggled with this word this week, and I was telling Nathaniel yesterday, I'm like, you know, I know God's going to bring it, but, you know, that timing of when he brings it, I wish he would do it earlier than later. <laughs> Amen. And so uh, this morning, we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 9, and we're going to see the transformation of a man named Saul. Saul, we know as the apostle Paul, and we're going to see that transformation on the Damascus Road. And like I said last week, if God can use a man like Philip, if God can use a man like Saul, I got some encouraging news, to, news for you today that God can use a man and a woman like you and like me. Amen. If he can use the Philips in the world, if he can use the Sauls in the world. You know, we always think about Paul as someone great, right? Someone, someone who did great work, but he started out as Saul. He didn't start out great. He started out as a, as, as a murderer. And we'll look at that this morning. But if God can use them, he can use you. Tell your neighbor, God can use you. And then tell yourself, God can use me. God can use me, amen? God showed grace upon Saul when Saul showed no grace upon others. On the road to Damascus, God took Saul and he transformed him into the great apostle Paul. Saul was an unlikely candidate. You know, if you're looking at a, if you're looking at a lineup of, of, of people who, who God would use, you wouldn't point to him and say, oh yeah, that guy right there. God's gonna use him in a mighty way. You're like, look at that guy. No, that guy right there, no, God can't use him. That, 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 that's the murderer of Saul. God uses the unlikely. When you think about, about uh, uh, just to name a few in, in, in the Bible, you think about Moses. Think about the Davids, the Rahabs, the Abrahams, the Josephs, the Marys. All of them were unlikely candidates for God to use, but all of them we know that God used them in a very powerful way. God uses the unlikely. Saul hated Christians. He hated people who preached Jesus. He did everything he could do to stop the church growth. Everything he did was to destroy Christianity. He was out for one mission. And even after everything Saul did, God still used Saul in a mighty way. God still used Saul for his glory. And it all started in Acts chapter 9. It all started with the Damascus Road experience. Jesus encountered Saul on the Damascus road. That's really what the experience is about. It's about encountering Jesus. Amen. It's about encountering Jesus. We all need to have a Damascus road experience. And I'm talking about maybe just one of the experiences we're going to talk about today or all three plus more, because there's a lot of ways we can go with this. You might be running from God. You may be running away from God. You might be in a Christian for a day or a hundred years. I'm here to say this morning that we all need the Damascus Road experience. I don't care how old or young you are, including myself. I need the Damascus Road experience. We all can. We all can be used in the same way as God used Saul. And it comes down to this, not my ability, it doesn't come and doesn't rest in us and what we can or can't do. It comes down to our availability. Are we available to be used by God? Saul was available to be used by God. Philip was available to be used by God. Moses was available to be used by God. David was available to be used by God. They all were available to be used by God. And that is the key to be available. Your best ability is availability. Amen. And that's what it comes down to. And sometimes we have to understand that. That, that, that. that sometimes can be uncomfortable. But when we say, God, here I am, the best ability is availability, making yourself available to God. You ready for a Damascus Road experience? I hope you are, because you're going to get one. <laughs> this morning, we'll be in Acts chapter 9. I'll be reading out of the New King James Version. Like Austin said earlier, you read on the NKJV? I said, yeah, the NKJV. Don't go there very often, but we're going to the NKJV. I couldn't do the KJV, but in the NKJV, I can do. <laughs> New King James Version. Acts chapter 9, verse 1 says, Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest. I'm going to stop it there for just a second. The first thing I want us to see is the first experience on the Damascus Road is when you realize your past does not prevent God from working. Your past does not prevent God from working. See, we all have a past. I have a past. You have a past. We all have a past. And Saul's past was ugly. It was hideous. It was an ugly past. And he called himself in 1 Timothy 1.15, he calls himself the chief sinners. The chief sinners. Yeah, the chief sinners, that was me, he says. 
That's what Saul or Paul at that point said. He was guilty of doing everything possible to destroy the Christians, putting Christians to death. He was a murderer. Think about Apostle Paul. Do you think of a murderer? Or do you think of the great Apostle Paul? He was a murderer. We saw back a few chapters ago where, where he stoned. He was, the, he was the, 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 the foreman, per se, or he was the lead chief, per se, in the stoning of Stephen. Remember, they, they sat their, their coats at his feet, and they went and they stoned Stephen for preaching the gospel. And Saul stood there and, and, and watched it happen. He gave the approval. He was a murderer. He was a murderer. You see, as Saul started, when Saul started in Acts chapter 8, he continued in Acts chapter 9. As it says, then Saul still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. It didn't stop. He didn't stop. I mean, we got to remember in, in chapter 8, we saw the disciples, what they were scattered to Samaria and Judea. But just because they were gone, Saul didn't say, okay, they're out of Jerusalem. Now it's time for me to stop. He continued pressing forward. He was still active in searching for Christians to arrest, to persecute, to kill, to torture. Up until the point of transformation, Saul was an opponent of Jesus. See, he was a religious man. But let me tell you this, he lacked a relationship. He was a religious man, but lacked a relationship. He was religious on the outside and wicked on the inside. You see, what we portray on the outside doesn't mean it's happening in the inside. A relationship is not what you portray it on the outside. Your relationship is about what's happening in the inside. That's why we baptize, right? Because baptism is an outward show of what's already taking place inwardly, right? So he was a religious man, but he had no relationship. He, had no, he didn't have an encounter with Jesus until the road to Damascus, even in all the bad Saul did in his past. Let me tell you, everything that Saul did still did not prevent God from using him. Think about that. That should be an encouragement for us today. I, I, you don't know where I've been. You don't know what I've done. It doesn't matter because I know what other people have done. It's in the Bible, right? And if God used them, guess what? God can use me. Amen? Sit a little bit taller, right? So yeah, okay. If God used them, he can use me, right? Let me tell you, Satan will throw up your past. Your family will throw up your past. Your friends will throw up your past. And look what you've done. And this is what you've done. And this is who you were. How can God use you? Well, let, let me tell you, if God can use a man like Saul, he can use you. Amen? I'll tell you, Jesus didn't bring up Saul's past. He didn't say, well, Saul, you were there, the stoning of Stephen, right? Saul, you know what? Mary down in 3B Straight Street, you, you, you wrecked her life, right? Remember, remember uh, John, you know, down there on Sierra Avenue, 9030 Sierra Avenue? Yeah, you, you, you arrested him. He didn't bring none of his past up. Jesus encountered him right in the middle of his persecution, right in the middle of him going to Damascus. God knows your past, but that does not prevent him from working in your life. Your past is no obstacle for God. Say amen to that, right? Your past is not an obstacle for God. See, when Saul meets Jesus on the road to Damascus, you know what his life is? His life has changed forever, right? His life is changed forever. And religion didn't do that because Saul was religious. Relationship did it, not religion. Religion for him, he would have still been persecuting the Christians, right? It was when he encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus that he entered into what? A relationship. See, Saul knew the laws. The laws didn't save him. Saul knew, you know, the book of Moses, he, that, that didn't save him. Saul knew the ins and outs of religion, but religion didn't save him. It was when he encountered Jesus in a relationship, that's what saved him. When God changed Saul to Paul, let me tell you what it did. It did not change his past. It didn't change his past. It didn't erase his past, but his presence was his testimony of his past. See, it didn't change our past of where we came from, but let me tell you, when we encounter Jesus, our past becomes now our present testimony. Your past isn't changed, but your past does not prevent God from working in your life. It doesn't. Let me tell you, your past, if allowed, will stop you from working in your life right? 
How many of us sat back and said, well, I should have done this, and I could have done this, and I would have done this, and, and we used to start going down the memory lane of what we could have, should have, you know, would have done, but we didn't do it, and next thing you know, we're no longer moving forward because we're too busy looking in the past. Your past will hold you back if you allow it, and that's the key. You don't have to allow your past to hold you back because God won't allow your past to hold you back. Then why don't you forgive yourself and move forward and realize, you know what? My past is my past, and now my past is my testimony, and move forward in your presence. Amen? Your past doesn't hold you back. God doesn't hold you back because of your past. Look at Philippians 3, 13, 14. Apostle Paul, what does he say? He says, no, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past, he says, and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. God is calling us to our present. He's calling us away from our past. He's calling us to move forward, right? And he's saying, hey, listen, I can use your past. I can use everything you've done in the past, and I can use it for my glory. You just got to be available. Amen? Let me tell you, this Damascus road wasn't unique to Paul. When we think about the, the road to Damascus, right, we think about Saul to Paul automatically Saul to Paul. But let me tell you, the road to Damascus, and I kind of led in this earlier, happened to many in the Bible, and it's still happening today because the road to Damascus is an encounter with Jesus. That's what the road to Damascus is. It was the encounter of Jesus. And when you encounter Jesus, guess what happens? Nothing else matters. Your past don't matter at that point. Your present don't matter at that point because all you want, and we've all been there if you're a believer, all you want is Jesus, right? And it all comes when we encounter Jesus. We see this throughout the Bible. God uses people in spite of their past failures. In fact, let's be real. Everybody in the Bible was a failure to begin with. When you think about it, they've all failed. And and God used them in a mighty way. Moses was also a murderer. And God says, hey, Moses, guess what you're going to do? You're going to come out and you're going to go back to Egypt and you're going to save my people. Moses writes the first five books of the Bible. Think about that. If Moses sticks in his past, he never moved forward. He never wrote, he would have never wrote, we would never have been talking about him today. He would have never saved the Israelites. He would never wrote the first five books of the Bible. We wouldn't meet who Moses, Moses who? But think about that. He was a failure and God said, showed up in the burning bush and said, hey, I got something for you. An encounter with Jesus. Samson sinned against God and God still used him in a mighty way. He killed more Philistines at the end of his life than he did in his entire life. He sinned. And God says, hey, I'll forgive you your past. Move into your present. I got something for you. Let's take out these Philistines. And he did. Abraham lied, but God still used him. Peter denied Jesus three times. But guess what? what? The church was built upon the rock, which is also known as Peter, right? You think about Gideon, who was, who was a doubter. Saul was a murderer. The list goes on and on. We can keep talking about these people and their failures. There's a common theme about each and every one of them. I don't know if you caught it yet, but it was what they were, not what they are. It's what they were, not what they are. It's the words that separate us. In the R's, we bring up what they were, not what they are. Moses is a great man of God, but he was a murderer. You see that? Saul was an apostle Paul, and he was a great man of God, but guess what? Saul was a murderer. It's the was and the words in our past, and we don't separate that from the R's of our future. Think about that. They were, not they are. And we can do that the same thing today. You were what? But now you are what? I was a sinner, but God saved me, right? And now I'm walking with him. I was a drug addict, but you know what? God healed me and he saved me, right? I was this and I was that and whatever whatever it is, you can use whatever it is, but now you are what? Blink. You fill in the blank. Leave the was and words. If words is a word, words is probably not a word, but leave the, the was and words. And you got to walk in your are right now. I am, right? We are, not we were. Paul used it throughout his ministry. He says what? I was the chief sinner, but now I'm a prisoner to Christ, right? Saul brought up his past all the time. Look at this is what I was, but now who I am. Amen? God uses people with jacked up past. Let me tell you, these people were jacked up. If they thought about the people in the Bible were perfect, they were jacked up bad. 
right? You look at some of these people, you're like, dang, man, you're talking about jacked up family, lineage, history, all kinds of stuff, right? And if God can use them, you know what? God can use a jacked up person like me, right? Let's be real. We're all jacked up, right? We all have our issues and our baggages and the things that we carry around, and we all have our past. But if God can use the jacked up people like Moses and Saul and Rahab and David, guess what? He can use the thinnesses in the world. Amen? See, what was done yesterday is in the past. Saul just got done persecuting Christians, and he's on his way to persecute more, and God used him. Someone said, God can use me, right? And all my jacked upness. <laughs> Second, uh, Acts chapter 9, verse 2 says this. It says, and he asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any way who were of the way, whether man or woman, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Second experience on the Damascus road is when you realize that your present situation does not prevent God from working in your life. Your present situation, I don't care what you're facing, does not prevent God from working in your life. Let me tell you, Saul was on his way to Damascus. That's not going like from Fontana to Rialto. It's not going like from Fontana to San Bernardino. This is going to like almost Vegas, 150 miles away. He didn't get up in his luxury car and drive to Damascus. He got on his probably donkey that went slow as molasses and walked the entire journey, 150 miles, because there was enough Christians that Saul felt the need to go to Damascus, which shows that the gospel was spreading at this particular age, right? God, the gospel was already spreading. There was enough Christians that says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go 150 miles out of my way to go kill some Christians. This was exactly his thinking. 150 miles out of his way, right? 150 miles, you know, that's a round trip to, 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 to Los Angeles. I went 150 miles this past weekend to Ladera Ranch. Three times back and forth. That's 150 miles round trip right? It's a long time, right? And he wasn't dealing with 91 traffic. He was dealing with the donkey that was stubborn, probably. Let's be real, right? 150 miles is not a piece of cake. But he was filled with hatred and wanted to destroy anyone, even if it meant traveling 150 miles one way away from home. He did it. He was on a mission. But despite his present mission, who shows up right where he's at. Jesus. We'll get to it in a minute, but Jesus shows up right where he's at on the Damascus road. And the encounter with Jesus changes his heart and his trajectory for the rest of his life. And let me tell you, when we have an encounter with Jesus, that same impact is on our lives. It, 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 it changes our trajectory for the rest of our lives. We all have a past we all have had an encounter with Jesus, and if you haven't, it's time to have an encounter with Jesus because you're going one way, and you think you made it to your final destination, and Jesus shows up and says, hey, listen, you don't know life yet. Encounter with Jesus. He shows up on our path of life, and he takes us right where we are at. He takes us right where we are at. You know, I, I, my, my grandma, my mom's mom, used to say all the time, you know, Grandma, when are you going to go to church? And she said, well, when I get my life together. She would say, I'll get my church. No, no, you get the church, and then you get the life together. Let me just tell you that. Because you ain't fixing nothing because you screwed it up in the first place. You ain't going to fix it later. Let's be real. Right? You're not. Right? Come on. We know that. We ain't lying. You're lying to yourself. Don't you come to church jacked up and let Jesus come and fix you, right? That's exactly what it's about. That's exactly what it's about. He takes us right where we are at, and he starts transforming our lives into what he sees fit. Where you are at in life right now does not prevent God from working in your life if you make yourself what? Available. If you make yourself available. Let me tell you this. If your present prevents God from working, that means that your view of God is too small. Because your view of what you're going through is bigger than your God. And let me tell you, nothing is bigger than your God. Nothing is bigger than God. So if you view whatever you're looking at and you think, man, this is an unmountable hill. This is a mountain that I can't climb. This is a wall I can't break through. This is a ceiling that I can't achieve. You know what? Let me tell you right now, nothing is bigger than God. Nothing is bigger than God. And what I love about Jesus is this. He encounters Saul right where Saul is at. 
right where he was at. He didn't encounter Saul to say, hey, listen, Sunday morning is 10 a.m. at New Life Community Church. Be there, be square, Paul or Saul, right? He didn't say, they don't have an encounter with you. He said, hey, listen, I know you're traveling to Damascus. You're going to stop right there. We're going to have a conversation. And now you know what? I am going to intercede on your behalf right where you are at and all your junk, right? Think about that. It's interesting. You know, we saw last week. What did we see last week? We saw Philip on the desert road. Remember, God woke him up, told him, hey, you know what? You ain't going back home to Jerusalem. You're going down the desert road. And he's like, okay, I'll go. He starts walking down the desert road. And what does he see? Right, this big old wealthy chariot guy from Ethiopia with all the riches and stuff, reading the scroll of Isaiah. And where does, where does he meet him at? On the side of a road. And guess who got saved that day? It was the Ethiopian man. Think about it. Jesus will have an encounter with you wherever you may be at. Same thing happens on the road to Damascus on chapter 9. It's amazing. Back-to-back bookends, right? The end of chapter 8 to the beginning of chapter 9. What do we see? We see God's transformation of people on the side of a road. I told you last week, we always say side of the road. We think about someone going to kill us, right? And I told you, it's on the side of the road. Where, where Jesus will meet somebody, wherever they may be at. This, this, this brings up our, our, our Matthew 18 in action, where, where the shepherd leaves the 99 and goes after the one, and that one that day happened to be Saul. Verse 3, Acts chapter 9 says, As he journeyed, he came near Damascus. Near Damascus. That means he was close to Damascus. He probably went like 147 miles right? Almost there to Damascus. And suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. He fell to the ground. He heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And the Lord said to him, arise and go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. And then the men who journeyed with him, stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. And Saul rose from the ground, and when his eyes were open, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him to Damascus, and he was three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. As Saul was approaching the city, I told you, he was on the borderline. He was nearing his final destination, right? He was on a mission. He was persecuting in Jerusalem. He took the persecution uh, crusade up to Damascus. They traveled a hundred and I don't know how many miles, it doesn't say, but he was near. I would imagine he's outside of the city, city limits there. He's getting close to Damascus. He's ready. He's probably chomping on saying, how many Christians can I kill today? How many people can I persecute? How many people can I arrest? I got big plans. We're going to have a whole parade coming back to Jerusalem and I'm going to get all these Christians and we're just going to destroy Jesus. And that's what he was thinking. When Jesus showed up, he says, hey, hey, buddy, not so fast here, right? This entire time, Saul viewed Jesus as opposition. And guess what? Jesus now became Saul's opposition. Wait right there. This ain't going to happen. Jesus stopped Saul right there. In verse 5 and verse 6, Saul asked Jesus two important questions. Two important questions that are not just important to Saul, but they're important to us. Because we need to ask ourselves these two very important questions. Stick with me here. Acts 9 verse 5 says, and he said, speaking of Saul, who are you, Lord? The first question we have to ask ourselves is, who is the Lord? Who are you, Lord? See, Saul knew who was speaking. Because the reason why we know Saul knew who was speaking, because our text says Lord with the capital L, right? Capital L means Lord, which means what? God of our life. It doesn't mean Lord as in president. It doesn't mean Lord as in a boss, right? A Lord as in a Lord in those days. It means Lord, the Lord. Saul knew it, right? At that point, he was like, oh, dang, this is for real. It's about to go down. I'm dead, right? He's like, I thought I was going to round up people and take them back to Jerusalem. I guess I'm going to be taken back to Jerusalem. Let me tell you this, when we go through life, we must ask the question, who is the Lord? When we're going through troubles, ask yourself, who is the Lord? Who is Lord of my life at this particular moment? Who is the Lord? We must ask this question with a humble heart and ask God, who are you in my life? Who are you in my life, especially when we're going through troubles? 
especially when we're going through troubles, it becomes so easy for what we are facing to become our God. It's so easy what we are going through to become our God. And that's why we have to ask the question, who is the Lord in my life? Who are you, God? Because it's so easy to get blindsided by troubles, situations, problems, a pandemic. We can keep on going and going and going and get blindsided. And and, and that issue and that trouble starts becoming our God. We need to ask the question, who is the Lord? See, let me tell you, God is easily lost in the middle of your situation. Easily lost. And you might need to rediscover who God is. And I say rediscover because you know why? God has never left. You just got to rediscover him. Amen? He's never left. You may just need to fall in love all over again. Maybe that's what needs to happen. You know, my wife and I, I, I'm being taunted by all my memories and my my photos coming up because we we would take take cruises around February. And we started doing this uh, four years ago. And uh, thanks, COVID. I haven't been to a cruise in two years. But uh, I enjoy going on a cruise because you're disconnected from everything. You know, there's people on the cruise that would pay the $20 a day to use their cell phone. I am not doing that. I'll just turn on my cell phone. I'll talk to everybody when I get into whatever I'm getting into, right? It's expensive. It's like $1.50 a minute, like a dollar a text message coming in and coming out. No, no, thank you. I'll put you on airplane mode. I'll talk to you in Mexico, whatever it may be. But I, we enjoy going there. Right, going on a cruise because it, it disconnects us from the world and it connects us to each other. Let me tell you, I'm with my wife all the time. Right? Not all the time. She goes to work. I stay home with my kids all the time. That's why I need a cruise. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, and they're going on the next one with us, hopefully. We'll see. I don't know how I got the mustard in that one. But anyways, we, we would go on a cruise. And the thing is, I would rediscover who my wife is. And I'd enjoy that week together. And we would connect and we would fall in love all over again. And I tell you that to tell you this. The same goes for us and God. There comes a time that we need to rekindle our relationship. There comes a time that, that we need to rekindle our love for God and really rediscover who God is in our lives. You know, why, why, do, why do marriages fail at 20 and 25 years and 30 years? Because we don't know who's on the other side. Why does a relationship with God fail? It's because we don't know who's on the other side because we stopped It just becomes a norm, becomes this normal thing for us. We got to rekindle our life. We got to rediscover who God is in our life. Second thing he says is this, continuing on in verse 5, says, Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, who you are persecuting. At that point, I'll stay on the ground. He said, it is hard for you to kick against the goads. Someone say goads. If you don't know what that is, you'll know what it is in a minute, because I know what it was. So, so he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Second question we have to ask God is, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? Once we discover who God is, we kinder our love for God, we have to ask the question, what do you want from me? What do you want me to do? It's a challenging situation because I say this, because I've been in this scenario, that I want to know what God's will is for my life. But then I don't, because then I don't want to do it. We've all been there. God, I know I'm supposed to be doing this. I don't want to do that. We've all been there. Saul's question was sincere, and it was personal, because he asked the question, God, what do you want me to do? Me to do, he says. Me. He was traveling with others. They led him by the hand to Damascus. Saul didn't ask, what do you want us to do, Lord? Right? He didn't say, me and my buddies and our camels and everything else we got. What do you want us to do? All of us, what do you want us to do? He didn't say that. He said, what do you want of me? What do you want of me? It sometimes gets so distracted by God, what do you want of us? What do you want of others? What do you want of your church that we totally neglect about the, the me? Be a little selfish with God. God, what do you want of me? And we get focused on everything else other than me, and we forget that we all have a personal relationship with God, and when it comes down to, God, what do you want for me? And you're present right where you are at. Let me tell you, God wants something of you. Jesus tells him, it's hard to kick against the goads. And what goad was, it was, it was a long, extremely sharp stick used to get an ox going the way 
the farmer wanted when plowing. One jabbed on the hind legs of the ox and the goad, uh, uh, with the goad until the ox cooperated. I'll tell you, the goad was painful. Essentially, Saul was the ox and Jesus was the farmer. Saul was stupid and stubborn, yet valuable and potentially extremely useful to the master's service. I say potentially, we know. He was extremely useful to the master's service. And the same goes for us today. I'm going to be real with you. Dennis is stupid and stubborn. Am I the only one? I think we all are. I don't mean to call you stupid, but let's be real. We're stupid and stubborn, right? Some more stupid than more stubborn, but some more stubborn than stupid. <laughs> oh, God, forgive me. <laughs> but Dennis can be stupid and stubborn. But let me tell you this. Dennis also can be valuable to the master service. And I'm not talking about Dennis here. I'm talking about every single one of us, right? J.R., Alec, Ryan, A.D., J.J., Sierra, right? Paula, Arthur, right? All of us. We all can be useful in the master service. There's a reason why Saul went blind for three days. God's trying to get his attention. Poking him with the goad, right? It was to him to fully submit. Because imagine Paul goes, wait, wait, or I should say Saul. Hey, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm here to go against you, not to be buddy buddies with you. Like I'm supposed to go persecute you and kill people as followers of you. But you're, you're go to me now, Lord. This, this ain't helpful, right? But it was helpful. Got him going in the right direction. We must ask these two questions right where we're at. Who is the Lord and what does he want from me? And once we find that out, it's going to come into something that we talked about last week, which comes into obedience, opportunity, right? And then the outcome. But when God answers after you say, what do you want from me? And God says, I want this. You got to say, okay, okay. Let me tell you where you are does not prevent God from working. The last one, bear with me for a few more minutes. Verse 10 says this, now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. It's not the same Ananias that got killed a few chapters ago, okay? He didn't come back to life. It's another Ananias. And to him, the Lord said in a vision, Ananias, and he said, here I am, Lord. The Lord said to him, arise and go to the street called Straight. Inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying. And in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Verse 16 is a whole different sermon. The third thing, the third experience on the road to Damascus is when you realize that your objection does not prevent God from working. Because let me tell you, God's still going to work. Amen? See, I imagine Saul probably had an objection, like, like I said, told you a minute ago, time out, like, I'm not, this is not what I came from. This, I, I came against you, not for you. But Jesus said, you're not objecting to nothing, buddy, right? Blind, you go. Go down the straight street to Judas's house. Paul, uh, Saul did not have a favorable reputation, reputation, reputation with Christians. He was known for one thing that was persecuting, killing, destroying. And he finally reaches Damascus. But he's not there for his original purpose because we know that Jesus, the encounter with Jesus changed his purpose, Right? This man, Ananias, we don't know nothing about Ananias. Nothing more is mentioned about this Ananias in the Bible. But we do know that he was a follower of Jesus. We do know that he was an ordinary man, just like us, like me and you. He wasn't an apostle. He wasn't a leader. He wasn't a deacon. He wasn't an evangelist. He wasn't an elder. He was nothing special. He was just a regular man. Average, ordinary man that God used. But isn't that what the Bible's full of? Ordinary men that God used? 
And God called Ananias in the dream. Look what his response was. God said, Ananias, and he knew the voice of the Lord. And he said, here I am, Lord. He knew the voice of the Lord. Because why? Because he had an active relationship with the Lord. So even the Lord calls, when we have an active relationship with the Lord, we know the Lord's voice, right? Contrast to what Saul, when, when Saul heard the Lord's voice, he says, who are you, Lord? Thinking, I think this is the Lord, but I'm not sure, but I'm going to respect him as the Lord. I don't know who he is. Verse 11, we see that Jesus gave him directions, right, of what would happen. Verse 6, though, Jesus doesn't give Saul directions. He says, get up, arise, go into the city, and then we'll give you more directions. But we see here in verse 11 that Jesus gives Ananias everything. He gives him everything, right? And let's be real, Jesus probably gave him way too much information because <laughs> we see this with his response. See, but Ananias was like, okay, yeah, you got someone for me? What's my assignment? All right, okay, go to Judas's house, and then, okay, and then go to Saul of, of Tarsus? Wait, 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 Jesus. Like, you got it wrong. Like, like, am I on Canada camera right now, right? Am I on the Catch a Christian? Remember this, this old Catch a Predator, right? Am I to Catch a Christian? Are you going to arrest me and throw me in prison? You're talking about Saul who just got permission from the high priest to kill me and, 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 and arrest me, and you want me to do what now? And he says, I want you to go down there. I want you to pray for Saul of Tarsus. Let me tell you, Ananias' objection was logical. Saul was well known. But regardless of the objection, it did not prevent God from working. And we know that God still worked. And that day, Saul was saved, even though he had an objection. Ananias objected. Let me tell you, regardless of what you want to say, you may say, well, I got to get my life right. Guess what? God's still going to work regardless of your objection. You better get in church now, right? Because guess what? Objection doesn't matter. Find a new one. Remember, I was in the sales business years ago, and that's all we talked about, overcoming objection, overcoming objection, overcoming objection, you know? Overcoming objections gets tiring, but not for God. Guess, okay, how about this? Okay, how about that? All right, do this. How about this? Let's do this. Let's do that, right? And God's going to be like, hey, listen, uh, your objections mean nothing because I'm still God, you're still you, and I'm still going to work in your life regardless of what you got to say, Right? I told you this before. My grandpa ran from God for years. My dad would say he was an unhappy man. It wasn't until he stopped objecting to God and getting on the, on the right bus that, that, you know, God took over his life and did amazing things in his life. But it wasn't out without re- objection. One way or another, your objection will not stop God from working. Let me tell you, Saul and Ananias were two men that God used mightily. Used mightily. How much God used them did not depend on their past. It did not depend on the project, uh, present. It did not depend on their objection. I said it earlier, and I'll say it again. Out of one thing, and that is what? Our availability. God uses when we are available. Amen? Are you available? Are you willing to have an encounter with God? Are you willing to have a Damascus Road experience that says, regardless of my past, regardless of my presence, regardless of my objections, you know what? I'm going to be available, and I'm going to surrender to God. You with me? We all can have that that Damascus Road experience. I need it. I got to have it. I got to have that encounter with Jesus. Let me tell you, if you don't know Jesus, know him today because he's waiting to encounter you right where you're at, regardless if you're here physically, if you're sitting at home, you're driving down the freeway. I don't care where it's at. If you're driving down the freeway, perfect, because that's where Saul was met on the side of the road. That's where Philip met the Ethiopian. Pull over because you're about to have an encounter, right? Stand with me as I close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come before you today. And I thank you, Lord, for the Damascus Road experience, Lord, that was not unique to, for Saul. 
Lord, but you put it in your word and you, you place it there, Lord, for us today. And I pray, Lord, right now, Lord, that, that you will start working on our lives. Lord, allow us, as you've, you've erased our past, you see, your past is your past. I'm going to use it for your present. I'm going to use it for your testimony. Lord, our past is, it will hinder us if allowed, but not because you're hindering it from it. It's because we are hindering it. Pray that we release our past. Lord, I pray, Lord, that whatever obstacles that we're going through right now, Lord, whatever it is may be, Lord, that that obstacle is not bigger than you, but you're bigger than it. I pray, Heavenly Father, we know that God is still working. You are still working, Lord, regardless of what it looks like, regardless of what it feels like, regardless of what we can see or not see, that you're still at work because you're still on the throne because you're still alive and you're still operating. Lord, and then when we ask those questions, who are you, Lord, and what do you want of me? I pray, Lord, that we meet that answer, not with objection, but to say, okay, Lord, okay, Lord, here I am. Make us available to who you are and who you want us to be today. Lord, I pray, Lord, if we don't know you right now, that we would stop what we were doing and invite you in our hearts to have a change, to have a Damascus Road experience. We thank you for that, Lord. Be with us, Lord, as we leave this place, Heavenly Father. Lord, allow us, Lord, not just to leave it as we came in, but allow us to leave it, Lord, and as we turn off our cell phones and our computers and things, allow us, Heavenly Father, to also bring with you our presence, your presence that will be with us throughout this week, Lord, that will coach us, that will mentor us, that will disciple us, that will discipline us. I thank you for that, Lord. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. God bless you, church. We'll see you next week.